some people will say, well, you're, you should create a nonprofit or do something that's more in, in the altruistic vein. But we were like, no, we want to make money. We want to see the Amen. wealth gap closed. Amen and we live in a cap that. capitalist society. So let's do what we can and address the inequity. Science, technology, engineering, and math are all great careers, but they're also fills with additional barriers to entry for women, people of color, and other amazing members of our community who have been historically marginalized in STEM. I'm Dr. Pamela McCauley, and welcome to Stepping Up STEM. On this show, I'm having conversations with impactful and passionate leaders making a difference in STEM education, innovation, and entrepreneurship. My guest today is Keith Daniel, Keith is a co-founder and managing director of Resilient Ventures, a capital fund that is committed to expanding access to capital, networks, and opportunity to African-American founders with the goal of closing the wealth gap. Thank you so much for being here, Keith. It is such a pleasure to meet you to in person. We've talked by phone. But just to know you, as I said, it just, it just moves me so much when I see people see a problem, and then actually put a plan in place to do something about it. Yeah. And that's exactly what you've done. So mm-hmm. would you tell us a little bit about yourself and your mm-hmm. career? And and I definitely then want to talk about your this move that you have to close this wealth gap. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me. First of all, may I call you Dr. Pamela? Yes. Please call me Pamela. <laughs> okay. Well, I... I want to just acknowledge the um, the joy it's been to learn about your career background as well, and it's an honor to be here. Thank you. Uh, I've been on a few podcasts. I, of course, in the pandemic, we've listened to podcasts a lot, and <laughs> you hear the guests and the uh, folks on podcasts often recognizing each other's, the inspiration they get from the people mm-hmm. they, in whatever sector it is or whatever topic. Sure. So again, thank you for having me. Yeah, we started our fund four years ago, but- my relationship with our, the co-founder of Resilient Ventures began about a decade pr- prior to that. We had some mutual friends who had gone through their own sort of life change and went abroad to serve as missionaries in Romania. Oh, wow. Yeah. And wow. we had had a lifelong relationship with this mutual friend set that brought us together. So when these friends moved back from Romania to Durham, they were committed to seeking to address the problem of marginalized, the, the experiences of marginalized what are called under-resourced communities. Right. And and how to affect change in those spaces, but from mm-hmm. a different mindset. And that mindset that they were coming back with was called asset-based community development. Okay. They had really done some, I guess, some work and some research around that. And I'm not sure how familiar with it, but Michelle Obama was really active in that work at Northwestern University. Really? And that's yeah. asset-based community development? Yes. Okay. It's called, people often use the acronym ABCD. Okay. The ABCD model. And the idea is, is to stop looking at communities that have been what we call devalued. Okay. As only with the problems that those communities have. Instead, let's let's look at communities. Again, you can use any number of metrics like that have been redlined or historically considered mm. economically poor neighborhoods. Mm. And instead say, well, every community has assets. And Absolutely. maybe we should start from there. Let's look at what we have and then start oh, to I think strategically, it. what can we do with those assets? Right. Now, part of the challenge becomes, well, 
if those communities have historically been marginalized or disenfranchised or mm -hmm. impoverished, let's not look at it as individuals that are the problems. Let's look at the systems. So mm -hmm. that's the other larger reality about asset-based community development. So for us, it and took, we know what the system has done. Indeed, and we are mm. fed up with yes. constantly running into the system working against us. Or as most people say, the system has worked in the way it's designed. You know, predominantly for to the advantage of people waste races white and to our disadvantage and exploitation. Right. And we have a lot to protest and be upset and angry about. And then there comes a point where we have to say, okay, what can we do about it? Right. And we do have a history. I was fortunate to be born, going back to my life, mm -hmm. in 1968. And I know what happened from 55 to 68. That was 13 years of my parents and grandparents and all of them believing that I could have a better opportunity and I could awesome. I could stand upright right. and I wouldn't have to look at signs that said mm -hmm. colored and white. And I was fortunate to be born. Those signs were down. But right. I know just because the physical signs were down— mm -hmm does not mean that the the actual cultural realities had changed. Right. But the reality is I did get to graduate from a predominantly black high school and then attend Duke University as an wow. undergraduate. Oh, well, I know they were so yeah. proud. Indeed. You know, the, <laughs> one of the first in my family to go to college yes. and certainly and the to first to go to, to a predominantly wow. white university. I had a bit of advantage. I always tell people my parents are from Durham originally. I'm actually multiple generations of my family are from Durham. And the wow. Carolinas, Oxford, North Carolina, Winston-Salem. And so going to Duke was like, well, I belong here. I don't have a sense of, because this is like home. The larger oh, world right. said that I was supposed to be here, where it's not the same when right. sometimes a child leaves home and they're in a place and they realize right. they don't have the support systems. But I also played football, so I knew what it meant to have to deal with getting knocked down and getting back up and mm -hmm. the rigors of, of training and sure. work. And so when that undergraduate career ended, I was able to take a job at the university and I found a life in higher education. I found a life in higher education. So and we I have that, that in common as well. Absolutely. You know, Indeed. I got my second, my first master's degree at NC State in an adult and community Yay. college education, higher education administration. Mm -hmm. I'm still very much active in that, in the academy. I eventually completed another master's and my doctorate in theology and most of my career is centered around philanthropy and okay. education and really wanting to see people thrive. Right. right? Well, mm -hmm. you know, it's so wonderful. You are mm -hmm. so accomplished mm -hmm. and your accomplishments, it appears you're using all of that you have and all that you are to really mm -hmm. make that difference for others. So yeah. what inspires you to keep doing that, doctor? Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> that's kind of, but like you said to me, you can call me Keith. But I, I tell students a lot. I told my most recent class of students in our last class, I said, the best thing in life is to look to connect with another person because I had this happen to me in my career in HR. I did two years in HR at Duke. And I remember my supervisor said one day, she said, Keith, there's a glow in your eye when you do that. Or when I, I wow. saw you do this and I saw a glow, it was the first time. And you, you think about intimate relationships, somebody, yeah, I see the glow in your eye for something. Mm -hmm. I like if you can help someone mm -hmm. fulfill an aspiration, like get a degree, like right. my daughter's graduating next month, I can't tell you what it feels like, the anticipation oh. of walk, seeing her walk across right. that stage, wow. right? And so what inspires me is to know how many people were so, like you said, were so excited to see me make that next milestone, right. attend Duke University, mm -hmm. get that next career step, 
right? Right. And I've been fortunate to be in a position to, to be at a lot of graduations, a lot of celebrations mm-hmm. of people making those milestones. Mm-hmm. So now seeing entrepreneurs and knowing how hard it is to get from early stage to growth right. stage to seed stage to exit, there's a adventure and excitement that I'm feeling in similar ways to get to do what we do at Resilient today. Wow. So how do... Mm-hmm. You tell, explain to me a little bit about Resilient Ventures and mm-hmm. how you all find those companies, what kind of companies you're looking for, mm-hmm. and then the process that you go through with them. So the ecosystem has been tremendous here in Durham and in the Raleigh area. We have a legacy, a Black Wall Street legacy. We mm-hmm. have a lot of just tremendous people in supporting and, and, and wanting to see Black entrepreneurs thrive. And more of them have been coming to the area okay. because they see the support systems that are here. It's been a challenge for a lot of founders to stay in the Southeast oftentimes to raise capital, which is one of the reasons why we started Resilient was like, well, there's not a lot of funds out there that are very explicit that they're looking to right. fund African-American founders. Right. Um, uh, what was the, mm-hmm. I, the statistic? I know when I was at the National Science Foundation, yeah. we had a presenter come and he had a slide that had 1% on it mm-hmm. in his presentation. Mm-hmm. 1% of black owned businesses are funded by VCs. Yeah, was, it was it's about three percent now. That that mm-hmm. was thank God that was in mm-hmm. 2017 when we had that. That yeah. is so sad. Dismal, dismal, abysmal is the word, right? It's. I mean yeah. that we can be happy about three percent. Mm-hmm. I mean, what does that say? I'm I'm happy about three. I'd like to see a whole lot more. Mm-hmm. But so is it organizations mm-hmm. like Resilient Ventures that have taken mm-hmm. us from that one percent in mm-hmm. 2017 to we're 2022 now with three percent. Yeah, it's well. There's definitely been a, a a great increase in the number of funds that are targeting the BIPOC community. Okay, and women have that bump in three percent is largely women entrepreneurs. Okay, they've seen a greater what we call tailwind of funding than necessarily male. Oh, I'm so happy to to hear that. I yeah. really am. Yeah, because another. Sad statistic. Only I heard only four percent of startups are by black women. Women who are black or African American. Right. So right. okay, yeah. I haven't. When we started the, so we first started doing racial equity training in the faith community when small cohorts of people asking them, do they understand like the history of essentially racial injustice mm. uh, from a, and we decided to approach people in the faith community because we were very concerned, like Dr. King was when he wrote his letter from Birmingham jail that he was surprised that the churches in the faith community weren't more committed mm. to justice and equality yes. at that time because oh. our faith should demand that. Absolutely. Particularly I'm speaking from a Christian standpoint and other faith traditions, it's about building this community that no one should be estranged or obviously exploited or dehumanized. Every human person is created, we believe, in the image of God. So our motivation mm-hmm. came from what people will say, well, you're— some people will say, well, you're, you're, you should like create a nonprofit or do something that's more in, in the altruistic vein. But we were like, no, we want to make money. We want to see the Amen. wealth gap closed. Amen. And we live in a cap- capitalist society. So let's do what we can and address the inequity. Absolutely. Right. Oh, my goodness. Keith, I could yeah. talk to you forever. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you, because, of course, I have my, my Christian roots and my yeah. good Baptist upbringing from Oklahoma City. Mm-hmm. always say, when my dad was in the Army, but we would always go to Oklahoma on vacation. And whenever he uh, had to leave the country, my mom, she was a country girl, so we went back to Oklahoma okay. uh, to, so she could be with her mom. Mm-hmm. And we were there. And I went to the loving St. James Baptist Church mm-hmm. and truly loved Jesus. And 
But I said, the Baptists told me money was bad. The Baptists were wrong. Yeah. And my husband told me, honey, don't be too hard on the Baptists. But my Baptists told me that money was bad. And that's not true. Right. So I mm. am so thrilled mm-hmm. to hear that there's a, a, a spiritual basis in terms of what you're doing. So yeah. that is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. We we wake up every day. My colleague and I, you had asked earlier, you know, what, what did I do to begin my day? And I was like, yeah, I washed my car. I, I had a call with a mentee. I obviously drove from Durham here to uh, from Durham to Raleigh, and I had a walk. The hike I took was with my my colleague, and we were reflecting on talking to wealthy investors who mm-hmm. may have a sense of a moral like motivation mm-hmm. that this is this is right, but also saying it's almost like they feel like you can't do both. You can't be morally right and want to make millions, right? And I have that tension every day because my life has not been oriented around mm-hmm. necessarily personal wealth mm-hmm. in the financial sense, but it has definitely been oriented, oriented around what I say, of fulfilling your highest ability to achieve. And if that means educationally, yes, or if that means in ministry, which sometimes in ministry, you know, my son's in uh, first year the uh, seminary this year, and one of wow. the biggest things he's having to reckon with, he says, Dad... You know, pastors in general don't make a lot of money. I mean, you see the, you know, television and you see more celebrity pastors and you see the mega church, but most churches are small, medium sized, very true, running on on very small budgets. And so the mindset is, oh, this is we are to live and we should live modestly within our means. But no, we have ability to create wealth that could be have a generational impact. Absolutely. And the way to do that is through. A business, yes. owning land, Absolutely. or some other intellectual property that you can monetize, and it's not right. always based on how much sweat, you know, actual physical hard labor I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm having to put in. So, our businesses, and, and I'm not sure if you, mm-hmm. not to for, uh, anticipate your question, but the companies we invested in have been intentionally diverse as we've started this first fund because we we wanted to be able to impact the call the main street entrepreneur okay. that has been at it for a while uh example being the BU cafe in Durham which has mm-hmm. multiple ca- shout out to BU multiple locations has awesome. one in the RTP and that founder had been at it for 10 years had acquired his his building and wanted to scale wow. the cafe uh, model now, most venture firms are not going to be looking at that kind of model. They're going to look at more a high-tech solution, sure. a more profitable solution. And so you'll see the tech-enabled, the high-tech, the ed-tech, the fintechs. you got life sciences. you got biosciences. Right. you got, as you know, all these sectors. Some of I've got a friend who has a $100 million fund that's on material sciences. Wow. Right? We're right so, at about $4 million for our first fund. Okay. And we have nine companies we've invested in. Four of them about, are what we call tech or tech enabled. Okay. Two of them are really addressing the diversity question and the concern for equity and job growth and opportunities for African-Americans or BIPOC community. So yeah, it's been, it's been diverse and the companies have that we've invested have been at it a little while. So they've already, they're already making money. They're not at the, what we call the earliest stage, Sure. but it's been a joy to talk to founders mm-hmm. that are trying to innovate and, and bring ideas and products and solutions to the market. You know what it feels like when for us, just think about it. You walk in the classroom and you're used to seeing a white face teaching. Right. And one day you, you see someone or in any field, like now we have a Supreme Court justice for the right. first time. And right. 
do you, that just like, you know, when we see, oh, I can do this. And I think part of the challenge where those percentages are lower, not just because the funding's not there, because not enough of us believe that we can get there because we don't right. see enough of us on the other side exactly. having success. Not just the entrepreneurs, but to be in a seat like I hold as right. a, someone who's funding the companies. Oh, it makes such yeah. a difference to actually see it. Uh, I was at Kent State about three weeks ago giving a talk to high school students and, and trying to encourage them to study STEM. And, and uh, with, of course, I'm emphasizing engineering. Yeah. And one of the young ladies, a young African-American girl, later there was a blog and she said, I... When I saw her up there, it made me think I could be an engineer. Now, I'm sure she's had people talking to her about science and engineering and math, but just seeing a woman who looks like her, her looks like her mother or her grandmother, yes. it made it real for her. Mm-hmm. And so this, it is so powerful. Mm-hmm. And seeing, and, and I'm thrilled to hear the kinds of businesses that you all are investing in are not just the tech businesses. Mm-hmm. Because when we look at our communities, I think to really address that wealth gap, we are going to have to look at investment in various types of businesses. Yeah. So what if someone mm-hmm. is interested in learning more about uh, mm-hmm. you or what kind of businesses that you would be interested in investing in? How mm-hmm. could they get that information. Yeah, well, our website is www.resilient-ventures.com. And on there, we have the listing of the kind of the basic profile. We're looking for companies that have at least a year of revenue. Okay. We stay out of the, what, you know, things that would have anything that necessarily do with, say, alcohol or or even CBD or uh, things that have to be highly regulated. We're looking for mostly a team, not Individual founders, although okay. we have an individual founder too, is not totally out of the question. And we're also looking for companies that have a strong advisory group, even if they don't have a formal board in place yet, because it might still be early for that. Can you help them mm-hmm. with some of those things? Like, Yes. That's okay. part of our mission and vision is to, to bring any founder who contacts us, even if we don't invest, we open up our networks. We seek to help, wow. help them find other funders. Outstanding. Yeah. We are, we are truly the... We're, this is year four, but when we started, we were like the new kid in the candy shop, didn't know what we shouldn't do or not do. So we just said, we'll we'll be transparent. We'll help who we can help. We'll reach out to other funds to learn what we need to learn. And that's what's made it fun and adventurous as well, even if we learned from what we need wow. to do better. So can anyone, any business in North Carolina mm-hmm. contact you mm-hmm. or are you just uh, in yep. this reach? Okay. Yep, I open up my calendar for 10 hours a week for 30-minute calls for any entrepreneur okay. uh, that's looking to get advice, look, okay. obviously looking for funding. We actually have a registry on our website for companies or founders who feel like they're ready to enter our screening process because we do have a screening process before we bring companies before our investment committee. We're wrapping up this first fund, so we will only do maybe four more investments over the next two years, and that'll okay. bring us to like. 13 or maybe 15 companies in our first portfolio. Okay. So it's, we're kind of coming towards the end of this. It'll be even that much more selective. Sure. But our plan is to start a second fund that will launch in 2024. And our prayer and hope is that it'll be double, if not triple the size of this fund. And we'll be able to make larger investments, probably in similar amounts of companies. But that'll all kind of be guided by our conversation with our advisors and investment committee and so forth. Well, this is so fascinating. So you you're you're looking at another fund. What if there's someone, say, in another state, in Oklahoma, my home state, yeah. and they wanted to, which I'm, I'm, it's desperately needed in a place like Oklahoma. If yeah. they were interested in doing something like starting a fund to mm-hmm. address this wealth gap and look at the BIPOC community, how would they go about doing that? Or, or are there resources? I'm just interested in how you all did this. 
Yeah, we often have to remind ourselves that we were a startup too. So, right. and every startup has to do essentially the same thing: study the market, research the market. Is there anybody? What is the the the, the demand? Right. Okay. The interest and the opportunity to create a fund in a particular region of the country. Major cities, most major cities. Uh, when I think of places like Charlotte, I think of Tulsa. You know, again, mm-hmm. obviously in the Northeast and where there are more anchored financial districts, there is wealth and there is a concentration of wealth that that is active in the VC world. And from what I understand, the research said that it actually even during the pandemic, the early stage funding um, grew wow. and focused on that. Right. And I think that speaks to the Yeah, American. isn't that something? There were some people making money in the pandemic. <laughs> yes, yes. And, wow. and, and distributing money because... I mean, we believe our American system, that dream continues to thrive, that innovation and new ideas can come out of the hardest of times. So right. you can't, and you know how people, I remember when I first started investing early on in my, my 401k plan, and I'm like, oh, when things go bad, no, they say, no, you keep keep that investment going because it's a long game. Right. That's what it is for us. I mean, our investment cycle is five years with an expect for an exit for seven to 10 years. Wow. So folks, mm-hmm. this is not a get rich quick scheme. Sure. And you can't, you're not support. Well, you're encouraged not to pull out entirely when there's a down market or even a down round sometimes with companies. And they, mm-hmm. may, they, they may need a little bit more capital to try to get through the down period. Mm-hmm. You hope the ideal is your companies are always in up rounds. That means that they're, they're growing, they're acquiring market share, they're, mm-hmm. they're increasing their, their, their capacity. But other, other parts of the country, we traveled a lot before the pandemic, which was another. I had stopped traveling for a long time for my, my previous career life. And I was enjoying it quite a bit. In fact, I, especially once 9-11 hit and there were some other things with respect to travel, but it was getting really exciting for us to go to different parts of the country mm-hmm. because our fund does fund outside of North oh, Carolina. Oh, okay. Right. Okay. So yeah, company, and we have four of our companies are outside of the Carolinas. To go back to what I said before, entrepreneurs, when you start out, unfortunately for many of us, we don't have friends and family of, with, with right. wealth that, that's close to us. If we happen to go to a school like I did at Duke, now I have a larger network and I do have some wealthy people that I actually have their phone numbers and I can emails and I can call them and they're going to take my call because I'm sure. a Duke alum. I think you have to look at your network at where you are. Okay. And then you have to build your, your thesis for the fund. Okay. If you have a track record, wonderful. We did not. So that was another interesting and wonderful challenge. But if you have a track record of fundraising or successful exit out of a company, there are some things that people will stand up and take notice of if you're trying to, um, to, to launch a fund. Okay. People were wondering how long would this season last of like interest and attention around mm-hmm. inequities for black and brown founders. And it's starting to, to crest a little bit, right? In terms of okay. obviously with the protests and there's been, and there's we've heard the headlines of these major wealth directed towards right. black and brown founders and the interest of our community. And like most things, it's going to be, it's going to be a, a tapering off of that, which gives opportunity for some areas to maybe say, well, okay, we want to, mm-hmm. we want to continue to press on this cause. Right. Mm-hmm. No, I would love to see more funds that are focused on these communities. Yeah. I mean, uh, that is truly looking at, I mean, getting in the trenches to address the wealth gap. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and I feel like throughout my entire career, you know, of course, studied engineering. And so there are very few 
people of color, very few women, then go to graduate school and it's even fewer. Mm -hmm. Then join the academy as a professor and they're even fewer. Then open a business. I've owned an engineering business for over 20 years and they're fewer and fewer. And and so it thrills me when I talk to someone like you and see what you're doing. Because I, I do think... That, and I didn't even have the, I mean, I've, I know what funds are, I've seen them, but I mean, now the mindset, it's good group of wealthy friends can get together mm-hmm. if they have a, an interest in seeing something done about this and learn from Keith, mm-hmm. learn from what you've done and mm-hmm. maybe in their communities, yeah. look at those opportunities to start a fund. Mm-hmm. So, because uh, again, th- this is why it's so important that we do share the knowledge that we have because so many folks are well-meaning, have good intentions, but really don't even have the concept of how they can have more impact. So this this is true impact. Mm-hmm. And I always like to say, I want to live a purpose-driven life. Yes. And the the lo- longer I live, it's more about that impact, yeah. you know, yeah. and not just, you know, want to make sure I'm doing everything God called me to do, but how am I helping and positioning other people so that they can live at their, their highest level? Yeah. And that's going back to when you asked me earlier, what inspires me. So I am I am mindful that speaking from from what you prompted around a belief that there is a benevolent God at work in the world, that my life can be expended in such a way that more people can experience that type of benevolence. And it can come in a a number of ways. Now, for me, it's interesting. I I told my investor friend last night, he was challenging me, which our investors do. We have what we call limited partners. We have about 29 of them that help establish our fund. Mm -hmm. And he happens to be a close friend of mine. We, and we were uh, college uh, classmates and teammates and he was a lot of deep reflection. And I, he was asking me some challenging questions around why I'm doing this and what I'm in it for and things that affect. So first of all, I should, again, I did not go to school for this, right? I did not go to Duke University to become a venture capitalist. I didn't, I didn't go to, I worked at the business school at Fuqua for eight years for MBA admissions, student services. I always had an appetite and an interest in the private sector, right. free enterprise, and then I ran a summer institute with, like you said, affecting young people, giving them perspective about what it's like to work in corporate America, but I actually never had done it. So it was, it was an interesting twist when this opportunity came up. And like some things in life, it's almost you wouldn't do it if you knew like how much risk <laughs> or like, wait a minute. Right. Now that I know what I know, what I do, like even getting married sometimes, like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> had I known, my wife and I like to joke, had I known before I walked down that aisle. We've been right. married 29, 28 oh, that's years awesome. now. But the reality is when people invest in us, when we went to folks, say, you are taking a risk on us. And because our track record and the life we've led has demonstrated, we, we, are, we will learn. We will do the work that it takes mm-hmm. to do this well. We're going to make a lot of mistakes because that's what rookies do. And don't even get me going down the sports analogy part of this. You wow. got a first-year player coming in. They've been a high school rock star. You get on the college level, and you realize the whole there's a whole level of commitment star. and training, and <laughs> right. you got to learn a new system. Right. And so um, that's the life we're experiencing now. Is is but the how learning. exciting is that? Yeah. How exciting Very. is that? Yeah. I mean, and and I love that mm-hmm. in every season, and I, that's one of my my goals is to always be enthusiastic. I love my work as a associate dean at NC State. I yeah. love still being an engineer in my engineering business. Yeah. I still do expert witnessing, but I love it all. And I feel so fortunate that I can be excited about doing that and learning something new. And mm-hmm. I'm just, again, I'm just so fascinated and thrilled to be learning about what you all are doing. Yeah, And I, yeah. I really want more mm-hmm. and more people 
to know about Resilient Ventures and how you all have done this. Because I I do think that that is, again, that's boots on the ground addressing the wealth gap. And like you said, we can get mad and we know the history of it. Okay, be mad, Mm -hmm. but let's work. Let's work. Let's do something about it. This is just, I mean, I'm so excited. Well, can you Mm -hmm. share, Mm -hmm. you mentioned the coffee shop. Mm -hmm. Uh, Can you share a little bit more about some Mm -hmm. of the other success stories in Resilient Ventures? Yeah, I always, it's almost like talking about your children, right? It's like, which one did that? So neither one, right. none of them feel like I love <laughs> so one more than love the other. You them all, right? <laughs> yeah. But I'll tell you about Circle. So Circle and uh, the CEO, Gerald Maggett, we we hit it off with him right away. He was, uh, Circle in is a, is an application that you download on your phone and it's, it's, a, it's attending. You'll love this. It's addressing the struggles that oftentimes first and second year students in college have with some of the hardest courses. Okay. I was somewhat shocked to realize how many young people don't complete college even still today. The, the, the attrition rate, the loss rate wow. around like failing classes, failing the calculus, failing the stats. I or need to chemistry. get this from my nephew. He just yes. sent me a text yeah. about a, a uh, calculus class that he's not, that's sure. the thing he's going to pass. I, I failed calculus. At me Duke, too. My first, me, well, okay. The hardest class yeah. I ever took in my life yes. was calculus two. Again. The hardest class I ever took in my life. It, yeah. All through my PhD, nothing was that hard as calculus too. And you know, and I was crushing homework assignments. I thought I was ready, but I think I had some test anxiety. I know my math mm-hmm. aptitude was, but you know, I was fourth in my class in high school. I mean, I got great grades, got to college, and wow. I'm looking, getting on tests, not performing. So what the mm-hmm. Circle M app addresses is we all have those like kids in the classroom. It's like they're getting hundreds, A's right. all the time. And you may be fortunate, like connect with one of those students, like in person, mm-hmm. and say, "Hey, can you help me?" Or you go to your tutoring center, right? Right. And guess what? The tutoring center is only so many hours a day. Right. And someone like myself, I was a college athlete, getting in the tutoring center. Now, fortunately, now they they got a whole system around supporting college athletes with tutors, and they set up Thank a whole God. kind of I'm so system around it. But for the average student, if if I've got to rely on the tutoring center and their limited capacity to help me, I'm in mm-hmm. trouble. Circle N makes it peer-to-peer tutoring accessible 24 hours a day and makes it a oh game and a competition to help other students perform. And that, oh, the solution that is, is just awesome. And the company has done so, so Circle well. And grown, Circle N. Circle I-N, N. Like the word circle and the letter, um, the, um, the two letters I-N. Circle N. Oh, I love yep. it. Yep. And and Gerald was worked at Aflac. He was a salesperson. He is a consummate salesperson, consummate communicator. He's built a team of engineers and and sales folks, and he's acquired some massive school systems. Outstanding. Um, yes, and has continued to just really crush it. So they're in an up round. They're now, well, I can't, again, some of the things I can't disclose, I got to be mindful sure. to disclose uh, too much of. But, yeah, we invested and did a follow-on investment with Circle in and Because, again, I, I love the solution right away, which is part of the – you know, you can find a great solution and it'll be a B or C, people say a C team, like mm-hmm. not the best team, but the God is a great mm-hmm. solution. Or you can have a great team and a great solution. I felt Circle in really fits that model. Absolutely. And we are really thrilled about where Gerald, he, one of the things that was really, that really spoke to us is he pretty much packed up everything in, in a small portion of his team to prove the concept out in Las Vegas, which I understand is, has a really struggling kind of academic matriculation ratings. And so they went out there and basically proved the concept and then moved to carry, came back here. And so we were fairly quick to invest. 
outstanding. Yeah. Oh my goodness, that is so encouraging. Not only can you make money, but you can also provide a resource that can help so many who may not have otherwise been able to get that type of help. Yep, and we're saving the schools from loss of tuition and loss of wow. students, you know, significant amounts of money sure. by keeping students in school. And wow. I could, I got a lot of, there's more to that story as often is, but um, yeah, I had a back yeah. thinking in 1992, one of my graduates from Duke friend, I was with her last night and she, she hit a very difficult point, almost dropped out of school at Duke, but her resilience and resolve, she ended up, now she's created an endowment so that that won't happen to other students. Wow. Right. Because she's gone on to be an engineer. I w- I'd love to talk more about here, but I know I show limited time, but. Absolutely. Um, can I talk about one more? You sure more? can. Yeah. Absolutely. So um, Maya Vanna, mm-hmm. which is incredible founder, engineer, um, Candace Mitchell-Harris, Georgia Tech, computer science, engineering, uh, developed an app once mm-hmm. again. I know we mm-hmm. said we don't invest in all tech. I've talked to tech companies, mm-hmm. but it's designed for black women's hair care. You take a picture of your hair, and from that picture, it's an artificial intelligence device that helps identify the best products for your hair oh, you based on the kidding. genetics of your hair. Wow. Yes. yes. And let me tell mm-hmm. you, they're onto something. Yeah. Do you know black women spend on average five times more than non-black women on our hair? Yeah. So. Yeah, I know it. I live with two black women. <laughs> like I said, I got a daughter about to go. My daughter came home this today to get her hair done. And she, she's course. in school in Charlotte because <laughs> I got to come to my head. So <clears throat> This is totally very important. Again, the solution. Oh my goodness. She's got major partnerships with a lot of the names that people know in the hair care industry and has made, you know, substantial amount of money. And we just, it's, it's, it's not, it's so exciting when we found it. One of our investment committee members, Labone Moses, I'll give her a shout out, was the one that said, make sure you check, don't, don't miss this one thinking that it's about hair care products alone, okay. because you know, that's any consumer product space is always very competitive and more risky. Sure. But when you have a unique solution like this one, it was like, oh yeah, we got it. We got to get behind her. Wow. So, so I'm I'm looking for that. Okay, I'll be Maya Bonham. Maya Bonham. Yeah. <laughs> and to get uh, use AI. Look at that artificial intelligence to help the sister with her hair. I yeah. love it. Yeah. I absolutely yeah. love it. Yeah. Well, this has just been so amazing. I am I'm just so excited about the kinds of things you're doing. What would be your advice to someone who is looking to get an investor, even if they say can't get with Resilient Ventures? So what kind of advice would you give them? Yeah. Again, another fresh conversation I had yesterday with an entrepreneur who's thinking about scaling, wanting to know, kind of understand the investor mindset, what they need. And the first response is that don't seek investor money until you really know you need it. You're at a place where you've established a clear market strategy, you've done the research, and you've honed like this solution that you want to bring to bear. And there are incubators, there are seed grants and sure. things that you want to make and you exhaust your own, not exhaust, but expend your own capital to a certain extent because investors like to see that, you know, you've made those those steps. You've done that early work. Right. And for us, again, our companies are a bit more mature. Most of our companies have been at it for three, four, five years at least <clears throat> and are already making revenue. But you don't have to be making revenue necessarily because there are funders out there that will fund at what they call sure. the um, idea stage. And sometimes that does begin with just telling your friends and family, telling everybody you know. Sometimes folks in our community, I do 
I do see, and I, I need to write a piece about this from some work we're doing. It's hard for us because of the his, historical realities to give up, like, and to trust sure. outside interest with our 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 ideas because mm-hmm. we feel like they may be stolen, that they feel like you know they 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 may be exploited, and that's you're gonna have to learn to have some courage to 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 seek out mentors and to seek out people who hopefully have some expertise and right. some experience in what you want to pursue to to give you insight and wisdom on how to build the business. Sure. Always look for opportunities to um, seek professional development, entrepreneurial, be in entrepreneurial spaces, be right. around. Cause you know how it is. A, you fly. Indeed. You got you to put right. yourself in those spaces. So you may need to look right. for where the ecosystem is thriving. Right. And you'll be amazed. And I feel like maybe that's a Southern thing. And maybe this, because I've been here so long, I just, when I'm in other places, I feel like people want to help here in this area. You ask a question and they're like, yeah, I love to connect you to so-and-so. Right. Or, and, but you got to put yourself out there and be confident about Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Now, I mean, that's such a good point that you're making. Um, I was a part of the University of Central Florida incubator early on with my business. Yeah. And you do get that feeling that they want to be supportive and helpful in that community. Yeah. And, and I'm glad you you said that. Make sure that you, when you want to get venture capitalists or someone to invest in your business, mm-hmm. don't get it to that point until you're sure you need it. Because there are so many other resources out there. Mm-hmm. You mentioned incubators, but there's small business development center. Yep. I've talked to people who are trying to start a business in my family. Now, here mm-hmm. they have me, and they don't even know about something like an SBDC, yeah. where they can go and, and actually figure out what is the step, what are the steps they need to go through to start a business. Yeah. And then, of course... On the more technical side, there are things like the i program. I mentioned the NSF i program. Yeah. But even that's at the national level where you can get up to $50,000 to mm-hmm. do customer discovery and evaluate just a concept. You don't even have to have a business, yeah. just a concept. And then re- on a regional level, like at NC State, we have regional i and i hubs. So there's so many resources. Mm-hmm. No one who thinks they want to start a business should feel like that they can't get that information. And now, especially post-pandemic, we saw we could do everything via Zoom. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. you can schedule those appointments with those counseling counseling mm-hmm. centers. At, uh, and then there's things like the Small Business Innovative Research Grant. You know, and well, NSF has it, but then there are like 11 other federal agencies. Mm-hmm. And this is all non-diluted funding. They call it America Seed Fund. Okay. You know, the SBIR yeah. and Small yes. Business Technology Transfer, STTR. Mm-hmm. So these are, are sizable grants that can range from uh, phase one from 100000 250000 and that can be six months to a year. Mm-hmm. And then after that, the larger grants for phase two range from 750000 to uh, over $2 million, depending on which federal agency yeah. that you're interacting with. So these are, and all everything I just described, all of this is non-dilutive. So if when your business gets that money, you still own all of your business. Yeah. Now, then they could be ready to talk to a Resilient Ventures right. or other VCs about yeah. looking at their business. But then they've got that track record. Mm-hmm. So, But again, there's so much out here that people just don't know about. Yeah. So, And, and yeah. I'm learning. I mean, you're mm-hmm. teaching me here learning about you know this fund and how to start a fund. Mm-hmm. So I think there are just so many opportunities and resources that we have that can be effective at addressing this wealth gap. Yeah, it, it is. It is. It's there. I think you pointing out the resource. Sometimes I think that's what asset-based community development, the mindset that we that I share with you, how we got in it. Okay. It's the idea. It's one thing to say there's no way in. I'm like, no, you, 
can't say that. There's been colleges and universities over the last 10 years, as you said, have started the innovation and entrepreneurship centers. Yes. I mean, even for folks who may uh, not have the same access at a major institution or university, the ecosystem is growing and building because we know the American economy cannot be sustained simply on what we call the home runs, right? Right. And we tend to, the glamour of like, oh, I'm going to have the next whatever Twitter and that's in the news now or some some other credible size company that mm-hmm. might not be you. You could right. you could be a uh, be you. That's the name of the cafe, <laughs> <laughs> it, it, which is important. You know, be right. you. What size company do you want to have? Do you think it's scalable? Because it, the scalability will determine if you you're going to ever approach us, right? Right, or a fund like us, I okay. should say. I always have to remember: don't, as Scripture says, don't despise small beginnings, right. or despise like you may be small, but you can have a large impact. Right. Exactly. So it's not always I want to have, exactly. I want to take over the world. It might be, right. I want to be the best, whatever I am in this particular region mm-hmm. of the, the country where this need needs to be met. And in order mm-hmm. to do that, I'm either going to have to take out my own capital. I'm going to have to either make it a nonprofit or if I really want to have a larger impact and maybe employ people or right. help create greater capacity, then usually that means you're going to need an infusion of investor dollars. Right. No, but right. it's so yeah. so powerful that you said that, Keith. Yeah. Be you. Yeah. I would say uh, the, the young folks say, "Do you boo?" <laughs> yeah. I mean, and be comfortable mm-hmm. being you in that space. And like yeah. you said, if if the impact you want to have, if if you don't desire to grow to be the next big thing, but be the best you that you can possibly be yeah. in that space yeah. and that impact. Mm-hmm. So I'm. It's so important because a lot of times, and I I think there are probably very few VCs who would say something so powerful like that. So it's <laughs> it's really important for a person in your position to be able to say that yeah. to a business owner. So yeah. other guidance for them mm-hmm. in terms of going to that next level, um, whether it's growth or just making sure they have and a sustainable impact in their community. Yeah, I have entrepreneurs popping in my head. I'm seeing their faces kind of scroll across my, my my mental consciousness because the stories and the solutions are are, are broad and wide or what mm-hmm. folks will want to address these days. So again, thinking about assets, like what what uniquely do you have that mm-hmm. that is a differentiator, right? right? Think about ourselves as consumers, even as you say with hair care products. I, I talk to founders sometimes, I'm like, you have an idea that's like cereal. I'm like, you go down the cereal aisle and I'm I'm actually at to the point now that I don't like much cereal anymore. I feel like they all are kind of the same, high sugar, high. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, are you going to present something that's not necessarily, it doesn't necessarily have to be revolutionary, but give me something different, <laughs> you know? And so you right. need to understand right. what is your differentiator, mm-hmm. what makes you, when you think there's multiple of these things out there, why are people going to pay like right. either more for that or if you're offering a similar product, why would I even change if I'm already comfortable with what I have? Right. How am I going to switch? So I think you have to do some deep, deep recon- recognition around the product service solution that you have. Indeed. And let's, let's be real. Are you going to try to enter a market that's heavily saturated with an, a new software I mean, a new soft drink or a new beverage. I'm like, honestly, for us, I'm, you're not going to get me excited about a beverage idea. But, but mind you, and I'm not a beer drinker, mm-hmm. but I'm telling you, if you got to, if you, I, I'm not, I'm amazed at how much the beer market is, is an, is an, 
incredible what market a, opportunity really for the, all different craft beers, the crafts, and and, right. and, yes. and and so I can't. I'm not going to knock you, but some mm-hmm. investors in certain sectors, mm-hmm. you and you want to scale it, then you got to show. Okay, show me the right. so quote unquote. Show me the money. Show me how you're gonna gonna do that in a market that is so filled. I mean, it's dizzying in that regard. But even having said that, to use an example mm-hmm. of founders that we didn't invest in, but I, I met some women who have a business called SIP. I guess I'm giving indirect shout outs, but I think they're in Oakland and it's African-American women who said, you know what? We don't enjoy wine and the culture of it as African-Americans the way we should. And so they started this company called SIP. Oh, um, now see, I should be investing in that because I, yeah. I do enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, you, you women are right. I believe you. I said, I could see that. And they were, I think they were recently featured on MSNBC or something like that. Wow. Um, and so that's again going back to okay, what are you what are you solving? Is the opportunity as big as it it right. really is? And if it is, you got to prove to me how you're going to get there. Absolutely. You know what what is it about you and your solution or the way you're addressing it that's unique? And I keep bringing up iCore because yeah. so much of what you're saying, I, 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 it just hits on the the points that we would address. Mm-hmm. We would call it the pains or gains. What is your solution? What pain point is it going to alleviate? Mm-hmm. And so, the, so it solved the problem. But or also, if it's not a pain, well, how is it going to gain? Yeah. So it's either a pain point mm-hmm. or a gain. Right. So you're going. How much more are they going to gain by using your product? Yeah. And so, and mm-hmm. I mean, it's really, really important that innovators do think about that because, of course, any idea. I have, I think is wonderful, but really doing the due diligence and looking at, you know, what problem am I solving or how am I making a difference here? Mm-hmm. And that's, again, why I would encourage them before they talk to folks like you to do something like a regional i program where you actually do customer discovery. You get out yeah. there, you talk to potential users of your product, yeah. and you start, start to study your market and really begin to get that understanding of where what you're doing is going to have the greatest impact. Yes. But again, yes. so many resources out there for people. Yeah. And I, I just, I, I want to make sure that people understand just how amazing Resilient Ventures is. I'm, I'm serious. This, it has just been s- such a joy to yeah. learn about what you all are doing. And I know you all are, folk, you're going to be starting another fund and having mm-hmm. other businesses that you fund, but mm-hmm. I am shining the light on you as yeah. a superstar well. and hope that other people will look at what you've done. And, and you're quite the role model on so many levels. Yeah, and so I you. am just so honored and thrilled to have had the opportunity to spend this time with you and talking to you. And I want everyone to know, about the awesome things that you all are doing with Resilient Ventures. So I would want to give you an opportunity to give some closing words to our listeners and and share with them again how Mm -hmm. they can reach you. Yeah, well, thank you again. I mean, we all need in life what we call raving fans, right? The people who uh, come no matter what, they they believe that that you bring value to the world and what you're doing is important and to inspire others in that way. And I want to say to all entrepreneurs out there, I know you're going to hit the hard, a lot of no's before you get to any yeses and... I've heard other entrepreneurs talk to each other and encourage and say, hey, you know, make a, make the no a motivator. Mm-hmm. But be sober-minded about it. If you, we often talk about being coachable, taking feedback from investors. And again, you have to make some discretion around what feedback you will mm-hmm. take because not mm-hmm. all feedback is actually what you want to do. You right. got to have that steel in you to know how to use and receive and welcome feedback. 
and um, make there's a lot of terms out there that sometimes like most language get overused and it just seems like they're just words but the idea we call pivoting resilience mm-hmm. is a term we it was easy for us to come to that because you know I feel grateful like I said when I was born mm-hmm. my people before me my answers were so resolved that I wouldn't have to see the signs up and the systems wouldn't totally be the same absolutely and I'm a beneficiary of that and mm-hmm. so entrepreneurs that are seeking to scale and to grow you know stay focused on what what is now accessible as you said there's money out there there is it is sometimes still a lot of red tape and bureaucracy and and maybe limitations on on ways you get in but just keep knocking on those doors mm-hmm. keep reaching out I'm happy to talk to, as I said, email me at keith.daniel at resilient-ventures.com. <laughs> uh, and if they words, Google or, you, they'll find you too. Or if they go to our website yes. at the bottom, we have contact. You can reach out. As I said, I, I make I make time for 30-minute phone calls to, to talk with entrepreneurs and other stakeholders in, in the industry of VC. So again, it's, a, it's an honor and privilege to be on your show today. Thank you so much for having me. And I I wish you all the very best as you continue to inspire people through your work as well. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Dr. Keith Daniel from Resilient Ventures. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for joining us today. And I will talk with you next time. 